3: This podcast is brought to you by Sorens Ford at 189th and Capital Drive in Brookfield.
1: Inside and analysis to start your day in powerful fashion, it's Jay Weber on News Talk 1130
3: WISN. It is 6.07 on WISN. It is Tuesday. I just I keep wanting to call it Monday. It is not. It is Tuesday, the 30th. We're almost about to leave May already. Isn't that something? 54 degrees already. A beautiful sunny morning. And... Uh, there are afternoon showers in this forecast every day. There's a there's a miss Wednesday on, on the low tonight. So is there? The low is five. No, I think the <laughs> fifty-five. I <laughs> think that probably is a misprint. Yeah. yeah strange weather yesterday. Bands of, of, of
1: the bands of rain yeah. would come through, and then be sunny, and then bands of rain would come through. Yesterday, that you, yeah.
3: No, I didn't get any oh, rain, we, although we got wind. Bands we of got wind. We
1: got tons of rainbows.
3: It was fantastic, yeah. but it was weird. No, I didn't get that, but it is sort of this this relentlessly wet weather. It just won't it's really give us a, a stretch of dry days. Yeah.
4: My, I've said it before, my yard is like a sponge.
3: Well, I finally got around to, to being able to have enough time to, to, to uh, you know spray the weeds in yeah. my yard. I don't think that the spray probably did anything at yeah. all because everything is so saturated and wet. We'll yeah. see. Uh, but what's uh, oh, on the show today? Well, news you might have missed because you have a life, including some famous deaths coming up here. Another week, another rumor that Reince is out as Trump comes back from his foreign trip and tries to deal with the deep state leakers. We'll talk about that. Hillary Clinton's public bitterness is only growing. And I wonder if it's sexist to note that the legions of men who have lost this job didn't act this way. Uh, We'll talk about that. Even liberal websites are now starting to ask, why can't Democrats win an election and prove the country country hates Trump? The country has to hate Trump. We can't prove this. We'll talk about the bad bets that they're uh, Engaging in as as fun as it is to to watch them founder, they're picking these bad bets and and oh, building yeah. them up into huge uh, showoffs and then losing. It's just stupid. And Chicago is the only major city to have lost population over the last three years, and it doesn't take a genius to explain why. A uh, couple of tens tens of thousands of people have, have left uh, Chicago over the last high year. High crime, high taxes. Yep, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. So all sorts of things to talk about on the show today. Uh, Memorial Day, I hope you did uh, take at least a few minutes to uh, think about the veterans, honor the veterans. If you didn't go to some of the ceremonies mm-hmm. and the parades, there were a number of them around the area. Uh, I noted the, the uh, I note here the Civil War Veterans uh, event at the mosquito Cemetery where there's just been an argument over weeds going on for yeah. years. It just frustrates me that the city of mosquito will not relent on this. It's more, been more than 150 years since two Civil War veterans were laid to rest there, Homer Clark and Jonathan Smiley. Uh, I think one died of disease, one was shot in the arm and and died of the wound. But a crowd of about 100, including some members of the Wisconsin chapters of Sons of union veterans of the civil war turned out to pay their respects and they had to walk single file through this path that was cut in the grass to the gravestones of these yeah. two uh, where the city had recently cut the weeds and flowers because the this so the group could hold this ceremony but there are 65 other graves in that cemetery that cemetery that need mowing and the city of, of Muskego just refuses 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 to cut this grass they claim this is some sort of plant sanctuary yeah and there it's 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 the, the last native prairie in the community so we can't cut this area mm. it is a cemetery. It's an eyesore. The, the dead right deserve to be honored. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just drives me crazy that the city will not relent on this. And, and they've been sued over it. Under Wisconsin law, according to the uh, Journal Sentinel story by Meg Jones, under Wisconsin law, veterans' graves must receive proper and decent care from cemetery owners, and the lawsuit filed in Waukesha County Circuit Court is seeking a declaratory judgment on whether the way is caring for that cemetery is proper and decent. They even do a controlled burns occasionally, yeah. which are harming the gravestones. Yeah. It, it, they get charred. Just,
4: how big a deal can this be? Just mow the damn grass. Yeah. Oh no, that's not grass. That's prairie prairie land. It drives me crazy. It's wild prairie land.
3: Yeah. So there was so there was that uh, event that caught my eye over the weekend. We had a number of, of famous deaths over the week, including a former pack a former Packers president, Robert hmm. Perens. Hmm. He died at the age of ninety eight. Uh, some people will remember him. He, this guy was first elected to the Packers board of directors. The year I was born. Wow. In 1966. So he had an affiliation with the Packers and the Board of Directors for 50 years. He passed away Friday night. Uh, He was the first full-time president of the Packers. He was a member of the Board of Directors for 28 years. But he was a guy who, as Packers president, established board committees, built Lambeau's suites, uh, began the Packers Foundation. So. Very influential uh, Packer uh, man in the the Packers organization. He handpicked Bob Harlan as his successor. Ah. So he was the guy before Harlan retired uh, from the Packers organization in June of 1989, but he kept his emeritus status. He was a a director emeritus right up until his death. So he is dead. Uh, Greg Ullman died of the Ullman. Shocker. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those I had to check to see if he wasn't already dead because he'd been sick. He's been sick for years. Uh, died of complications of liver cancer that had come back. Mm. He was a 69 years old. And the Ullman Brothers Band, it's just, unless you're a Southerner, I don't think you know how influential this band really oh, is, and just in terms of amazing the, the, the Southern rock roots all seem to go back to the Ullman Brothers. Yeah, my um, a
4: stepbrother went to a, a school, a boarding school in Atlanta, Georgia, in the 70s, early, early 70s. And at their senior prom... The band was the Almond Brothers. No, oh, really?
1: <laughs> oh man, it was before they hit it really
3: big. But their the band for their prom
4: was the Almond Brothers band. Well, and they hit
3: it big in the in the early seventies, yeah. but it, well, sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was uh, one of the brothers died in seventy one. Yeah. So there was only a few years of the actual Almond Brothers, mm-hmm. and then Dwayne died in seventy one. I think in a motorcycle accident, didn't he? I was think something I think, like that. Yeah. And and then the the band stayed together on and off over forty five years. Yeah. Uh, They just gave up touring in in 2014, just gave up touring in 2014, uh, and uh, were one of the biggest draws touring Mm -hmm. when they were out there, period. I mean, just year after year after year. Uh, Greg Allman apparently just completed a solo album, excuse me, A Southern Blood. It's set for release later this year, and he received final mixes on Friday. He listened to them the night before he died, i say. So he was working right up until his death. Yeah. But a very influential band, and, and uh, I think this is another one of these bands that... Uh, and they were drawing huge crowds at a time when we had
4: some fabulous musicians in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, Jim Croce was still around. He was becoming huge. The Almond Brothers, mm-hmm. even the Grassroots, Yeah, yeah, say, yeah. Uh, people were just, I mean, it, to but, be able to dominate that industry the way they did in the 70s is just... Yeah. phenomenal.
3: And it's another one of these bands that a lot of us might have liked growing up. Yeah, you know, yeah, okay, Alman Brothers was cool. But when you start talking to music- musicians themselves, mm-hmm. the influence that this that this band had yeah. is just legendary, just something yeah. else. Manuel Noriega died. This is another death I had to check because I thought he was already dead.
4: Somebody last night said to me, I thought he died years ago.
3: That well, he, <laughs> he was in prison years ago. <laughs> yeah, this is the former military dictator of Panama, of course. Manuel Noriega, he died at 83 following surgery to remove a brain tumor from that apparently grew out of a previous surgery. Mm-hmm. He was in, in uh, bad health, too, for a yeah. while. This is the guy who was ousted by a U.S. invasion in 1989. Yeah. I guess I never realized this. He spied for the CIA. Before oh, yeah. he became a big drug yeah. dictator and drug yeah. lord. I remember at the time that
4: they, they kept talking about the Noriega-Bush connection. You know, Senior Bush, not yeah. not, uh, not W. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was at NBC radio uh, when uh, when the invasion occurred. Yeah, but
3: then like all dictators, he, he took over the country and shot all his political yeah. opponents. And- in fact, that's what
4: he was in jail for in Panama after he was released here. He was
3: was released here. Then he was sent to France to face some charges. I don't know if he
4: actually spent prison time there. And then from there to Panama, where they got him for some of his political opponents mysteriously disappeared. Yeah,
3: (laughs) yeah. So the final years of his life were spent in the Panamanian prison. And uh, he was saying that this was a a conspiracy by Washington, D.C. to keep him behind bars. Well, you know. He had to pay for his crimes, after all, and in various countries. Do you remember but, the video of him with the big machete walking around hitting things? With yes, him, you know. I just remember yeah. that big pockmarked
4: face. Yeah. Uh, Carapina, they called him. Pineapple face. Yeah. Really, that's, that's <laughs> what they called him. Carapina.
3: Well, it fit. Then there's Tiger Woods. Yeah. Boy, he was arrested. It's not going to end well, is it? Well, it, the whole saga. It's another instance in where where, okay, made a mistake. Don't make excuses. Mm-hmm. You know, he puts out the, this very conciliatory, I'm sorry, I expect better of myself. Okay, that's that. Mm-hmm. That's good. PR-wise, that's good. And then he says, well, it wasn't really alcohol. It was prescription meds. Yeah. Well, the troopers smelled alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's the reason they pulled him out of the car and had, had him do the field sobriety and test. And he wouldn't
4: do the uh, breathalyzer.
3: So. Right. And, he wouldn't, and in Florida, if you don't do the breathalyzer, that is automatic arrest. Yeah. And he slept it off in the drunk tank and mm. and was released on his own recognizance about 11 o'clock the next morning. But Tiger Woods was arrested uh, for DUI in Florida, Jupiter, Florida. He was nabbed around 3 a.m. Are you normally driving around 3 a.m. No, if um, you're on prescription yeah. drugs? No. <laughs> <laughs> driving very erratically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the police say they smelled alcohol in his breath. And, and it, it, this was based on visuals. They did a roadside test. And they the, the video could come out today. The police... Uh,
4: uh, uh, Surve- uh, dash no, cam video. Can video. That's yeah. gonna,
3: the dash cam video could come out today and it could be embarrassing for him because police say he became quite arrogant mm-hmm. in refusing the breathalyzer test. Uh, they don't know if it, it, it was he saying do you know who i am if, if, if but this 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 could be a further embarrassment today that's as the this state video senator from uh wisconsin that says don't you know who i am <laughs> there are several people that that have that have tried to play that lena card. taylor you know. lena taylor yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were several people who tried to play that card when they were uh, were pulled over or caught in uh caught in embarrassing situations so uh, yeah tiger caught with a dui now here's the thing that surprised me a little bit he still earns 45 million dollars from endorsements yeah. a year 45 million a year mm-hmm. from endorsements he hasn't won a tournament in years but he's, he's still, still a famous golfer yeah, yes. he's still very popular he's got a well, he has a following and think about how golf the popularity of golf itself has slid since yeah, tiger yeah. left i mean no
1: one he, you know he hasn't even played out a full tour in like 3 years now
3: hasn't he it? been it's been i think it's, it's been been longer, than longer than that, that. yeah yeah it's been a while. wow and this back surgery he what he played in one tournament this year then he had had this this yeah. latest back surgery he was but to uh, golf what uh, ali was to boxing yeah yeah and you know this maybe isn't the, the thing you should be talking about when we were about to have a major tournament at Aaron Hills yeah. but golf just has, has has slid in popularity since tiger Left yeah, as, there are some as a main
4: coming drum. golfers now, but no, mm-hmm. there's no, there, there's only one Tiger. Woods. Well,
1: you know the thing is, is there's no dominant golfer anymore. Right, they're all pretty well equal. Mm-hmm. Tiger paved the way. I mean, he he was the one that said, hey, you got to go in the weight room. You have to be tough.
3: That's right. And if
1: Lucky Land Casino asking
5: people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Haha, in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: You liked watching golf before, yeah. Tiger. You still like watching golf, and you appreciate the fact that this is that there's a lot of skill out there. There are great young players to watch. But if you were sort of... Drawn to it by his celebrity, mm-hmm. well, you have found some other celebrity to follow, or you have sort of fallen uh, fallen away in that regard. So uh, yeah, he's still making forty five million a year in endorsements. He still has Nike. He still has Rolex. And now the question is: okay, if he's if he's a crummy golfer, and he's, he's, he's going to be he's going to be in trouble. Yeah, do we need to keep these endorsements? Yeah. Is it worth keeping the endorsements? I think Nike probably sticks with him, I may, and we'll I think see. Rolex will too. Yeah, so maybe so. But uh, the dash cam footage could decide
4: yeah. that. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> We and shall so, see. You know, we've followed over the months. We've been following Venezuelan. I wanted to yeah. mention something about that. Um, I was contacted by a lady whose husband is Venezuelan. They live here in in Wisconsin now, mm-hmm. and a local church is working uh, with a number of Venezuelans, in fact, who now live in Wisconsin, on a major relief effort for the people of that country. Mm-hmm. It's Grace Lutheran Church at thirty thirty West Oklahoma mm-hmm. Avenue. They're accepting donations of non perishable food, medical supplies, and of course, money. And they're doing it through tomorrow, May thirty first. This actually started May seventeenth. Okay. Uh, Venezuela today is just they're in a terrible the, critical dire shortages of just about everything yep. from food to toilet paper. I mean, it's. It's just, it is so sad what's happened to that country. And so if you can, Grace Lutheran Church, 3030 West Oklahoma Avenue. Uh, make, stop by, make a donation of something. Because right. those people are
3: in real need.
5: I will be right by your side. It's
3: 627 on WISN. I'm Joe Weber along with Ken Herrera and Gregory John. Now, yeah. Ken Herrera lives in Ozaukee County. Yes, yes I do. Uh, you do not live in we- Mequon, technically. You live in... Themesville. technically. But it's the same general area. Mm. This is not far from you. A mountain lion... Yeah, I heard about this. ...was spotted Monday evening on Bonniewell Road. Not very far from me at all. Wow. Yeah. This is a a, a uh, property owner around there who says he was using a golf cart to drive between properties. Yeah. And the golf cart hit a patch of, of gravel and, and sort of skidded... And and it startled an animal nearby, and sure enough, it was a mountain lion that jumped up. Big go cougar. He said it was angling away from him, mm-hmm. but it turned back and looked at him. So this guy is claiming, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I want to make people aware of it. You know, I want to be, do, mm-hmm. be responsible and tell people it's in the area. He says it was a mountain
4: lion. Some years ago, there was another spotting uh, of a mountain lion in the Grafton.
3: Which isn't very far away from there. Mm-hmm. Well, they have a, so, a, a radius of fifty miles. Yeah. I guess. So yeah, that's well so, within. Yeah. Yeah. And alderman afterwards sent out an email to about sixty five hundred residents saying, "Just be, be careful aware. walking in the area. One's been spotted. Uh, we've had them. We've had sightings in southeastern Wisconsin yeah. before, but they're very rare." Two police officers went out to the scene. They didn't. They say the mountain lion didn't leave any paw prints behind because it was tall grass. But yeah. they see. They saw where it traveled through the the through wet the grass. grass yeah. So. Something obviously. How, how big either. do they
1: get? Like sixty, seventy pounds?
3: About sixty, 60, 60 oh, That's the size pounds. of a big dog. Wow, yeah, they they can get uh, they can get pretty big. They can but, take uh, out a big dog. Yeah, they're pretty vicious too if they want to be. Uh, it just but normally they're to avoid Yeah, they are, so. and I just find it fascinating that they can live amongst us and we never see them. Yeah. They're that elusive. Um. But when I see one in the woods, that's when I stop hunting.
1: Okay, pack
4: this up. You
3: know, the coyotes howling as I walk. The coyotes howling as I walk out to that's the right. stand doesn't bother me yeah. too. It bothers you a little bit. It's a little unsettling, but you know that they're not not going to bother you. Yeah.
1: it's strange to see some unusual animals. Like I told you that time, I saw that vulture. I was like, "What? What is that thing?" It was the ugliest thing I've ever seen. I didn't. I didn't realize we had turkey vultures oh, around gosh,
3: here. Oh gosh, They're all over uh, up yeah. by me. Yeah. Oh, we okay. Have them circling all the time. In fact, if something dies in the yard, I just leave it in the yard because something will fl- come from yeah. the air and pluck yeah, it yeah. up um but what,
4: what i've seen in uh increasingly now is a bald eagle yes it comes flying over uh, a couple of weeks ago i'm driving down main street and it couldn't have been more than 70 feet in the air passed right over me it was beautiful which, it was
3: gorgeous uh, i saw a young bald eagle just probably about 60 60 feet maybe more like 100 feet off of the interstate hmm in Brookfield. Yeah. A, it was more like the Pewaukee area. I was driving on the interstate. That so, is a young bald eagle. They're really coming back. The, yeah, the, they the really are. are. Sounds pretty neat. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the wolves moving in, moving closer to where we hunt, that's a little unsettling. Yeah, yeah. But uh, mountain lion, I'm not looking up. I'm never looking up when I'm no. walking
1: through the woods. Uh-huh. I'm not going to have one of those things pouncing on me. <laughs> the guy just called up said they they can grow up to 120 pounds. 120 mountain lion. pounds. Yeah. Okay,
3: wow. Well, there you go. Beep. That is a big dog. (laughs) Uh, So Pirates of the Caribbean Uh uh, was was sort of soft. This is the fifth entry now in this series. Dead Men Tell No Tales is the... Reviews are terrible. Yeah, reviews are bad, and it flopped. Well, for a franchise like this, it flopped. In the U.S., but it still is doing great overseas. You know, there are some uh, of these franchises now that are just starting to get hot overseas, like mm-hmm. Transformers and like um, the Fast and Furious movies. Yep. They're hot overseas, so more and more they're made for the foreign markets. Yeah. But uh, they, they took in $77 million over the weekend, but this was the long weekend. This was, I think they went Thursday to, to Tuesday. So this this was not that spectacular for Pirates of the Caribbean. It did better overseas. Mm-hmm. The huge flop was Baywatch. <laughs> the, 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 what a surprise! Dwayne Johnson and Zac Efron. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to are see terrible. this. commercials it, it, terrible. It looks so dumb. Yeah, was uh, supposed uh, to be a spoof. It seemed like it was a spoof. Yeah, I don't know, but it it, it was hurt by weak reviews that spread quickly among young moviegoers on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, there aren't even that many hot babes in bikinis in it, which mm-hmm. is sort of why you would do the movie. Yeah, but Baywatch completely tanked. Uh, took in 27 million dollars. Yeah, from Wednesday night through Monday that's a weak start for the movie it costs 70 million to make which is double what a comedy is normally cost to make so uh yeah baywatch a huge
4: flop the next big thing coming out will be wonder woman uh, see i'm seeing previews for that and i think that looks awful yeah well the, <laughs> they needed to get a linda carter look alike to play wonder woman mm-hmm. and they didn't so well she's she, she's dark haired
3: anyway yeah, okay. yeah. But, but i uh, just the uh, previews uh, even that I've even seen, for comic book heroes yeah. is wonder woman a big draw no no she was like the one okay yeah we need a girl you know, they, yeah. threw the, well, th- they threw the check. the tv in. series was very popular <laughs> that sounds sexist now stop that <laughs> well it's true <laughs> oh well here we go <laughs> uh wasn't there wasn't there like a female thor or something yeah, like that yeah, yeah, I yeah I They need. but <laughs> wonder woman was never a good character well go- a golden, ghostbusters golden, women's the version golden lasso and yeah. the, the uh, come on you, you can't <laughs> lie when she puts it around you this this cannot be a good movie yeah you know. But uh, yeah that's that's another one although Hollywood really having trouble this year. Getting people to the movie theaters is tough, but then you watch the previews and you think if they if they can't make the previews interesting the movie has to be terrible. Well, and every- you know sure enough it, these movies just look well, terrible even from in the But today the
1: everyone has these huge TVs. So they just wait for it to stream. Mm-hmm. Well, well to out. just regular it programming, like on, on Netflix or some of these, like even Hulu, they have originals now with really good talent and really good programs. Like I just, mm-hmm. I just completed borderline. I binge watched that this mm-hmm. week. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was, was, uh, it was season three. If you get a chance, it's really good borderline. You got house of cards opening up today.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be huge. See, I'll watch the last Wolverine movie on my huge TV. Yeah. I love watching them at home because I can pause it. Rewind it, see the cool scenes again. Absolutely, uh, it's uh, so. I watched Logan, which which is really I thought a really good movie. Yeah, I, I guess
4: they're cashing in somehow, mm-hmm. but uh, I'd hate to own a movie theater right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I, I lose my
3: faith in you. It is six forty three on WISN. Still ahead, Trump says he's uh, going to make up his mind on the Paris Accord soon. Other reports say he already has, and he's telling people he's going to pull us out of it. Which would be keeping a campaign pledge. Uh, Ken Herrera mentioned the right to carry having a public hearing uh, tomorrow. Uh, civil asset forfeiture is also having a hearing at the state capitol today. So, uh, civil asset forfeiture is another one of these uh, issues we've been following and uh, keep you abreast of that. Uh, apparently, this is Reince Priebus' last week of work at the White House again. <laughs> again. Yeah. <laughs>
1: How many times <laughs> do they keep pulling this
3: back? It, twice a week. Twice a week there's a rumor. Now, The there's a breaking story that uh, Trump's communications director has resigned. This is not Spicer. This is a more anonymous guy who apparently put his – it sounds like he put in his resignation on uh, May 18th uh, and just hasn't really left yet. So there's that breaking news. Now, the, 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 there are these increased rumors of, you know, with the leaks and everything, Trump is coming back from this foreign policy trip and he is bound to determined to deal with the leaks. There could be uh, staff shakeups higher up. The Wall, uh, the Wall Street Journal, I think for the first time, is reporting that there could be some staff shakeups. Almost all of this so far has been coming from these liberal outlets like Politico, New York Times, Washington Post, and it's all anonymous, and, and it's twice a week. Twice a week since February, Reince was on his way out. Uh, now the rumor is that he's going to be made ambassador to Greece just to get him off the Trump team. So this week it's Reince being shipped off to Greece. Every week since February 1st, there have been different rumors about how Trump is going to fire Reince. This is a new one to me. Make him ambassador of Greece to get him out of the way. The reason this sounds like total BS to me is if Trump wanted to fire Reince, he'd just fire Reins, right? Why would he have to come up with some BS cover story that he's needed elsewhere or he wanted to be our liaison to Greece or whatever? Trump doesn't need to place Reins anywhere. He just needs to replace him. So this, this reeks of the same falsehood that the other stories do. But this is like the 25 or 30, 25th or 30th time, I swear, Trump is going to fire Reince Priebus. So in the media, you know, they're insisting these big, big shakeups are coming just over and over again. And these, story, these stories are all swirling around this new story about Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, being the target of the Russian probe a target in this probe. These are the latest rumors out of the New York Times and Washington Post with their unattributed stories. Jared Kushner is being is a, is a target of this investigation. Well, the story I read initially last Friday was that the FBI was saying he wasn't a target of the investigation but was simply being interviewed, supplying information. Now they have him two steps from a prison cell. And the hot rumor is that Jared Kushner suggested before the inauguration even happened that Team Trump should set up a secret diplomatic back channel to Russia. That has the media and the liberals suggesting treason. Everyone in the know in Washington, D.C. seems to be saying, well, other than John McCain, (laughs) this guy is just something else. But everyone else on the GOP side of the aisle, diplomatic side of the aisle, seems to be saying, well, so what? We have all sorts of diplomatic back channels with other nations. Most are friendly nations, but not exclusively. And weren't Obama and Hillary and John Kerry all talking about better relations with the Russians anyway? Didn't they want better communication and cozy relationships for eight years? I seem to remember a big public reset featuring Hillary in an Office Depot button, as well as John Kerry chumming around repeatedly with the Russian foreign minister.
5: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And
3: the whole regime making comments to the effect that Russia wasn't a threat anymore. It was laughable when Mitt Romney brought it up in the 2012 elections. So is Russia an enemy again, you liberals? I mean, you can change the game in rhetoric. You do it so much, you really need to at least keep us up to date. Are they an enemy again? Just let us know. Because all things Russian are now nefarious and questionable. Jared Kushner is the new villain. And for allegedly doing something that Hillary or John Kerry could have proposed. Well, but, but they were the secretaries of state. Kushner isn't. Okay, well, whatever. Trump's generals and top GOP lawmakers on the Hill downplayed this as nothing because it sounds like more nothing. Uh, back on the American soil for the first from his first foreign trip, Donald Trump on Sunday released a flurry of Twitter posts dismissing White House leaks as fake news. He remarked, "For the his remarks for the first time since uh, the the Jared Kushner son in law story broke. He wanted to set up a secret communications line with Russia during the presidential transition to discuss the country's military operations in Syria and other issues. Again, what's so wrong with that? If you're a liberal who believes that you know what Obama and Hillary and John Kerry believed." Trump said, it's my opinion many of the leaks coming out of the White House are fabricated lies made up by the fake news media. Whenever you see the word sources say in the fake news media and they don't mention names, it's very possible that those sources don't exist but are made up by fake news writers. I said that two months ago. Why are we assuming that any of these unnamed sources are even real people? After all, not a single one of these two newspapers, not not a single thing these two newspapers has alleged would happen based on anonymous sources seems to have actually happened. It's all rumor and fake news, and I'm convinced at least some of it is just made up sources. I think some of these reporters, I don't care if they're working for the the great and storied New York Times and Washington Post, I'm convinced they're just making up sources. The rest might be, some of these stories might be from actual people inside the deep state government that are just shoveling lies or bad rumors. But very little of what has been leaked has been accurate or true. A lot of the tidbits that were leaked have turned out to be much ado about nothing. Well, you know, that General Kelly met with a, you know, not General Kelly, Jelly, General Flynn, he met with this Russian. And it, it, they make it look bad, and it's, it turns out it's a routine meeting that, that Hillary's team was also you know, engaging in. Very little of what's been leaked has been accurate or true, and yet every day, for months on end now, the entire mainstream media and a bunch of never-Trumpers like Charlie Sykes and Bill Kristol act like this is all true. I've never seen such a thing. It's gone on for months now. At some point, you'd think they'd all wake up to the fact that they're being played. Uh, This would also explain uh, sources just being made up by by reporters who who are targeting Trump. would also explain why these leaks can't be found. The leakers aren't stopped. Now, for the first time I can remember, the Wall Street Journal is suggesting Trump is having meetings related to shaking up his staff and making some changes. So I, I would tend to give their reports maybe a little bit more weight. Than the New York Times or the Washington Post, maybe some changes are are finally coming here, but they're not reporting that Wall Street Journal is not reporting that Reince is off to Greece. That's other wingnut outlets. Now there were two news outlets, including CBS. CBS was one of them. They were reporting several leakers have been identified and will be fired now that Trump is back from overseas. But I think one story that the one reason that these leaks aren't going away is some of it's just BS that's being made up by the reporters. I'm convinced of it. Now, CBS is saying two leakers have been identified and they will be fired now that Trump's back from overseas. This story didn't get much attention. I hope it's correct, but they rec- CBS News has confirmed, they say, uh from two sources that three leakers. Okay, it's 3, not 2. Three leakers. Of classified information at the White House have been identified and are expected to be fired. Officials within the Trump White House believe leaks of Trump's conversation with Russian's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, are a deliberate attempt by officials who are holdovers from the Obama administration and are trying to damage the Trump presidency. In addition, this week, the chief of a White House correspondent for another uh, news network, the One America News Network, his name is Trey Yingst, He also reported three White House leakers have been identified and referred to the proper authorities. He says Trump's expected to fire multiple people connected with the network of leakers upon his return from the White House. Let's hope that's the case and that they're starting to find and root out some of these leakers. If that happens, I assume we'll know about it because I assume the leakers will want to out themselves to get the credit. They could, I don't know if they're going to be facing criminal charges. They should be. But. I assume they will want their moment in the sun, their their credit to get credit and attention, adoration from their fellow liberal activists, so they'll want to gloat about it and do a victory lap. I'm guessing these people's names will become public, even if they're facing some legal, legal jeopardy over this. So we'll watch for that story to, to either be, be de, de, debunked or proven true. Meanwhile, PBS is reporting, much to its liberal chagrin, they've just spent time with people in Ohio, and somehow, now imagine this, Somehow, not a single person that they spoke to in Ohio, not a single voter, cares about Russia, (laughs) the Russia-Trump thing. Turns out that middle Americans couldn't give a double-dipped cone of horse poop about Trump and Russia. What a shock. It obviously was a shock to the PBS reporter and editors, though, because this this is all-consuming inside the Beltway. On the East Coast, it's all-consuming. It's all they talk about or care about. This is dominating the MSNBC and CNN newscasts, and they're talking head shows. Those inside the Beltway bubble cannot imagine that people west of Virginia don't care about Trump, Russia, and aren't following along. This is a perfect illustration of how there were two distinct, distinct Americas now. There are just two distinct Americas. We have blue states on the coast and the vast sea of red states in between, and this helps explain it. It's one reason that Republicans are more and more not allowed to govern when they do win the majorities in D.C. These are deep state liberals just looking to overturn a fair election and looking to toss out a president that won about 30 states of 50, they just don't like him because he won't keep d c on autopilot so the deep state liberals can keep running the government from the agency level. That's why they hate him. You know Kimberly Strassel had a great column on Friday that I hope to get to a little bit later on. I'm running out of time now. I assume a lot of people missed it due to the holiday. But it's very good. She sketched out the anatomy of the deep state and talked about a woman that, that the Obama team just appointed to the, to the head of the EPA, an independent investigator and protector of science. Well, of course, all they did is go out and get a very committed eco-nut activist, someone who cannot be and will not be unbiased. And um, she is the one who's, quote, protecting science at the EPA, What she does is she meets with environmental activists routinely to try to to make sure that the EPA is kept on this liberal eco-nut path. And we'll get to that because it, it was a great example of just one way that this deep state exists and in very real terms. You had the Obama administration create the, quote, scientific integrity office, at the EPA, and it's just liberal action. News, weather, traffic,
1: and the candid perspective of an honest man. Stay informed with Jay Weber on News Talk 1130
3: WISN. It is 7.08 on WISN. It is 56 degrees. It is Tuesday the 30th. Still ahead on the show, Hillary Clinton's public bitterness is only growing, and I'm starting to really love Trump's generals. Madison Kelly, they're no-nonsense leaders. They're bringing a dose of reality and some fresh air to the D.C. swamp. I want to talk about those two men as well. Uh, This cannot uh, be easily dismissed, my friends. Chicago was the only major city in the U.S. to lose population in 2016, and it has now seen population erosion for at least three years running. Gee, I wonder why. And these numbers could be worse if there wasn't such a big influx of of immigrants into Chicago, both legal and illegal. But... um, Could it be that aside from the still impressive downtown area, and it is still impressive, could it be that this is just increasingly a hellhole of a city circling the drain? The schools are terrible and getting worse. The crime problem is terrible and getting worse. The murder rate is terrible and getting worse. In some ways, it mirrors Milwaukee, and our leaders here should take the lesson. Even an improved and vibrant downtown area doesn't mean the rest of the city is safe and desirable to live in. Under Mayor Barrett, it appears that his strategy is to build up the downtown area while ignoring the continuing rot and increasing crime in the other neighborhoods. But this is from the Tribune, the newspaper of record in Chicago. They say their population fell by about... Um, 8,600 people, 8,600 residents between 2015 and 2016. That's the third straight year of population loss, according to the Census Bureau. Chicago was the only city among the nation's top 20 to lose population in 2016, and it lost nearly double the number of residents as the year before. In 2014 to 2015, it lost about uh, 4,500 residents. Uh, I'm sorry, almost 5,000 residents, closer to 5,000. The uh, population of the greater Chicago area, which is defined by the Census Bureau as the city and suburbs extending into Wisconsin and Indiana, so that greater Chicago area also saw a decline in population. Uh, Numbers made available in March showed a drop of about 20,000 residents in 2016 in that area. That's the greatest loss of any metropolitan area in the country. The overall state population of Illinois fell by more than any other state In 2016, down by about 37,500 people. The entire state of Illinois has seen the largest decline in the country. Uh, The declines for Chicago and Illinois come as southern states grow. Chicagoans are likely to continue heading to those warmer states as the south in 16 was the home of 10 of the 15 fastest growing large cities. The Census Bureau placed five Texas cities on the list of major cities with the largest population increases. Uh, They say Illinoisans in recent years have flocked to Texas, Arizona, and Florida, sunbelt states. Uh, During the years after the recession, the migration to those states slowed, but now it's heating up again as states in the south and the west offer better job opportunities and more affordable housing. Uh, But by most estimates, Chicago's population will continue to decline. The Chicago Tribune, over the last year, they say, surveyed dozens of former residents who packed their bags and left. So based on dozens of interviews by the Chicago Tribune, they say the reasons are high taxes, the state budget stalemate, crime, the unemployment rate, and the weather. They say black residents have been among those leaving in search of safe neighborhoods and prosperity, with many heading to the suburbs and warm-weather states. Chicago lost about 181,000 black residents between 2000 and 2010, according to the census data. And you've got to believe that the, the attrition rate has only accelerated since 2010
5: that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
3: Then there's this. More than any other city, Chicago has depended on Mexican immigrants to balance the slow growth of its native-born population. During the 1990s, immigration accounted for most of Chicago's growth. So is it any wonder that Rahm Emanuel and the Chicago leaders are, are leading the charge against a crackdown on sanctuary cities? Without Mexican and Latino immigrants, legal and illegal, this city would be in even worse shape. But let's back up to the reasons given by the people who left. They were interviewed by the paper over the last year, so presumably they've talked to a good number of people. They claim dozens. We have a representative sample here. Those who who left cite high taxes, a high unemployment rate, a screwed-up state budget that only leads to ever higher taxes. They cite crime, and then lastly, the weather. And look, if none of those other things are problems, people would put up with the weather. So let's not be so naive as to believe that Chicago has seen a big outflux of people because suddenly tens of thousands of Chicagoans over the last three years suddenly wanted to live in a warmer climate. Come on. So if you kick out that as a reason, you have economics and crime. You have economics and crime. High taxes, no jobs, and crime. And politicians who only want to keep raising taxes more due to bad state budget problems. That sounds exactly correct to me. 799-1130 799-1130 is the telephone number if anyone in the audience is one of those people who moved out of Chicago, perhaps, and into an Illinois or a Wisconsin suburb. I'd like to hear your take on this. But I don't think this story is surprising anyone. Look at what the state Senate in Illinois did just last week. They voted on a new set of taxes that would hike income taxes on people and on businesses by 33% in Illinois. They would also raise and create some other fees. Luckily, they have a GOP governor in Bruce Rauner that would never allow it, but this is what the Senate Democrats wanted to do. This is how the Democrats who run Illinois would be rewarding their citizenry. Another massive tax hike. Is it any wonder that people are fleeing? And the article does not address the businesses that are fleeing as well, but they are. Several have ended up here in Wisconsin. You have businesses fleeing Illinois, their high taxes, and their high crime rates as well. The story quotes a 43-year-old Michael Bennett. He moved to Houston for a job in 2008. He was so committed to staying in Chicago, though, he kept his Lincoln Park home, flew back on free weekends and holidays. He just recently sold his property and settled in Houston for good, saying his romance and love for Chicago couldn't outweigh his concerns about the city. The cost of living was too high, he said. Property taxes kept rising. His home was robbed twice. He says it's not just limited to poor neighborhoods, either. Trouble can strike you anywhere in Chicago. Uh, he still misses being on the, he misses the lakefront strolling down Michigan Avenue, but he says Houston offers a diverse cultural lifestyle similar to that of Chicago. Says he's even received job offers to return to Chicago for higher salary, but that wouldn't balance off the increasing property taxes. Bennett says he thinks there will soon be a tipping point in Chicago when more residents realize it is time to flee. Well, 9,000 did in 2016, and that number would be even higher if the city wouldn't have had a steady flow of immigrants in to count against the number of longtime residents leaving. This flight from Chicago is worse than the raw numbers in the census report would put out, obviously. I'd be interested to see the numbers when the new arrival immigrants are taken out of the equation, you know what I mean? Forget the overall population for a moment. How many tens of thousands of longtime Chicagoans have fled over the last three to five years? as that city increasingly circles the drain. Wouldn't that be interesting to know? Right now, this number is offset with immigrants arriving. Todd in Green Bay, you're on WISN.
2: Hey, good morning, Jay. Morning. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I think the uh, the Democrats, you know, forever, have been trying to round more, more people up and, and force them into cities and uh, zoning laws and everything that they've been doing and trying to encourage mass transportation and yep. getting more people uh, into the cities where you can dole out more benefits and uh, make them more dependent and turn them into good Democrat voters. And then at the same time, they're not doing anything to control the crime that's going on in the cities. They're allowing too many people free, you know, like the soft judges in Milwaukee are. And then on top of that, they're, they're just not doing enough to encourage employment and, uh, and, and encourage businesses to, uh, to move there or stay there yep. to, to uh, offer their uh, citizens, any employee, uh, employment opportunities, and that's why I so see real parallels kind of Double edged
3: sword. Yeah, I see real parallels here between Milwaukee and Chicago for this very reason. Now, there was oh, yeah. a time, there was a time not too long ago that Milwaukee's population was declining year after year after year. Yeah. So we we were slowly losing yeah. people down to about half a million uh, residents, and then it started to reverse course. You know, and but you know, Tom Barrett, if he's been mostly a caretaker mayor, but he he's not he's not taking care of anything. If you're not going to be some big visionary, if you're not going to be pushing for some sort of you know renaissance in a city, you at least have to take care of, of, of the basics and uh, be. Beyond trash pickup and snow plowing, he hasn't done much else. One thing he has done is, is finally, he's, he's finally along with the city council, loosened up on development downtown. And we're seeing a downtown residence. We are a Renaissance business is going up, all uh, buildings going up all over the place. Uh, you know, some new businesses moving in, some new excitement, new you know, condos, as the young urban hipsters want to live down there, and the older retirees might want to be moving back to the cities for the nightlife and for the restaurants. So you do have a downtown area in sort of a third ward area that that are increasing in 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 vibrancy and appeal. But it's the surrounding neighborhoods that make up most of the city, and their needs are not being addressed. You have crime that has now migrated out to the furthest reaches of the Milwaukee, the city Milwaukee boundaries, and into the suburbs. Michael Bennett's story here from Chicago sounds a lot like what you would hear from Milwaukeeans right now. No neighborhood is safe. My car has been, you know, stolen twice, or my car, or my my house was robbed twice. It's the rot in the neighborhoods that surround the downtown that make a city unlivable more so than, you know, than the, and it can't be offset by, you know, several, you know, maybe, you know, 15 really good blocks of downtown Milwaukee that are really exciting and wonderful and vibrant. David in Jefferson, you're on WISN.
2: Hey, I actually, uh, I live out in Jefferson. and I work in Madison. I install internet TV for one of the big providers. And we've just seen a flood of people coming from Illinois. And uh, one of the things I've noticed is, I mean, I've worked there for about three years, and over the past three years, the crime rates in Madison seem to have gotten a lot worse. So their problems are following them up here as well, mm-hmm. which is never a good thing.
3: <laughs> no, it isn't. And this is this is another thing that that has occurred here in. In Wisconsin, but you mentioned Madison. It's a great case study. Over the years, you know, Madison used to be very low crime and and a very safe city, and that too now has pockets. There are pockets of that city that are not safe when it comes to just you know, it's still mostly property crime rather than violent crime, but there are increasing parts of that city that are degrading because there's been more and more migration up from Illinois. And again, it's the people that are trying to. Largely, it's been people trying to flee the the worst neighborhoods of Chicago. There's got to be a better option. Madison is a better option, but of course, with with them come some of the problems. Bob in Muskego, you're on WISN.
2: Yeah, hi, Dad. I'm originally from Kenosha area, and, and even about ten years ago, I said, and living down by the lake in Kenosha, that all the people are coming up from Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now, if Milwaukee to play their cards right, I knew it would go all the way up in the Milwaukee, even downtown area. But I think first of all, those numbers are a lot worse. If you, if you could include Kenosha, which is actually part of the Chicago market and Indiana, mm-hmm. those fleeing people would even be worse. But now I think Milwaukee will win out, not for anything Milwaukee's doing, just that people want out of Chicago. They start realizing Milwaukee's a big city with an alternative uh, lower taxes, easy to get in and out of. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee could really benefit from this, if they, especially the city area, if they could lure some of these people up there with lower taxes and stuff. But not for nothing that the not not nothing that the, yeah. the mayor is doing, but the, the governor is doing. But those numbers are probably even a lot worse. And when you started in the early two thousands, they cleared out the Robert Taylor Homes and Cabrini Green. A lot of them ended up in Zion. And now they're actually kind of coming into Racine and of the Milwaukee areas. But um, again,
3: well, you, think- yeah, and you, you mentioned lower taxes. I would, I would also say safe streets. Here's the thing about lower taxes, though. If you're a true Chicagoan, if you're living in the city of Chicago, uh, Milwaukee's taxes are lower than what you're currently paying. So it might seem like a positive move to you. Even uh, w- taxes that would seem high to us seem low to Chicagoans that have been paying far higher taxes. Kurt in Brookfield, you're on WISN.
2: Hey, morning, Jay. Morning. I still work in Illinois, but I moved up to Wisconsin uh, to follow my wife, and uh, I love it up here. I wouldn't go back to Illinois uh, between everything from I'm out in the suburbs uh, to the politics to the gun laws to yeah, not having to worry about my taxes being raised because I want want to drink soda. All the craziness that goes down on <laughs> Illinois its just going to go downhill.
3: Yeah, uh, it, it sounds like it is and they're, they're not really addressing the problems. They're not addressing uh, the crime problem, they're not addressing the the public schools, which are the same problems that Milwaukee is not addressing. These big cities that are almost exclusively run by liberals aren't addressing these long-time the long-time problems. They're just trying to spackle over them with sort of a hot downtown district. That's what, that's what seems to be happening in major city after major city after major city. Uh, Eddie in Milwaukee, are on WISN. Hey, Jay, how you doing? Doing well, thank you.
2: Jay, I think this is your white privilege talking. You know. How dare people expect to live in a safe city after they pay taxes? Mm-hmm. I think that we just need to get used to the hyper criminality that goes on in Milwaukee year after year. And we can't expect too much, and if we do, it's our own fault. What do you think? <laughs>
3: I think you're you're probably right. Yeah. Just for, you know, for all the taxes you pay, you just sort of expect, expect the worst. Right. Uh, Thanks for the call. Now Gregory John has a a Facebook post. Yeah, we a, we
1: posted uh, the story on on your blog, and then I posted it on Facebook. And Lisa writes, "Just left our high end uh, Far West Chicago suburb for a Waukesha suburban area in January. What did we get? Lower taxes, more house, better, less crowded schools, and I don't have to get stuck in a traffic jam to go to the grocery store or pay to get on the freeway." So that sounds the,
3: yeah, yeah, all right. It's, it's a it's a lifestyle choice that there are a lot of positives here. Yeah, and if you are a a good you know, if you're a good family trying to raise your kids in, in a in a desperate situation and you want to get them out, well, yeah, you just you get them out. You flee. And people are fleeing elsewhere. And it isn't just Chicago, as you heard. I think yeah, we need to make a, at least a few comments here about the entire state.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
4: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost
5: track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: State of Illinois. These state lawmakers have the budget so screwed up that for all practical purposes, the state of Illinois is bankrupt. If it had to pay its debts today, it, it, it couldn't. And it may not be able to pay them at all in the future. I, I think the state of Illinois, for practical purposes, is bankrupt. It has a massive underfunded pen, underfunded pension liability hanging over its head. And a government that spends more than it takes in, still, even under Bruce Rauner. Because they won't do budgets. Do people know what's going on in Illinois? Democrats are refusing to do budgets because Bruce Rauner won't sign more spending increases. So... Unlike Scott Walker, Rauner doesn't have a GOP legislature to work with to get the books in order in Illinois. Even if he did, it would be it would be difficult at this point. They are so screwed. The best Rauner can do, though, is combat the big spending, the insane liberals who control the statehouse, and they're just refusing to cooperate with him in any way. I mentioned the Senate's latest move. The state Senate in Illinois, their latest move was insisting on a 33% income tax hike uh, on people and on businesses. Here's another idea that that they're they're pushing. It is the so-called privilege tax. Get this. This is a new attack on Chicago's financial sector, on Illinois investors, and on investment advisors. This all trickles down to the investors. They they the, the uh, bill that is being pushed in the Illinois legislature would have the uh, investment advisors all paying a twenty percent. Privilege tax. Uh, The Illinois bill would put a 20% levy on fees earned by investment advisors. It passed the state Senate 32 to 24 on Tuesday, and backers are hoping to get it through the House before the legislative session ends May 31st. This new tax is pitched as a way to squeeze more revenue, as much as $1.7 billion a year, from hedge funds and private equity firms, which purportedly get off easy on their federal taxes because of the carried interest loophole. But here's the thing. Under this current version of the bill, Illinois would keep collecting the privilege tax even if Congress closed that loophole. Liberal groups are hoping that that a multi-state agreement will prevent financial firms from simply moving to friendlier climates. Uh, An earlier version of the Illinois bill proposed a provision so that this 20% privilege tax would only take effect if it also went into effect in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. They're also looking at similar measures, but the bill written as is written now would impose this tax regardless of what these other states do. Lawmakers would simply hope to have other states follow suit. The states where this privileged tax proposal is being seriously pushed are those with the worst grasp on their own finances, notes this story. Illinois hasn't had a budget in two years, since the Democrats in Springfield continue to insist on more taxes. The state has $267 billion in unfunded retirement liabilities, a $14 billion backlog of unpaid bills, and a $7 billion projected deficit this fiscal year. Illinois' credit rating is terrible. It's a a BAA-2. Uh, according to Moody's, New Jersey's, Connecticut's, and New York's are only a little bit better. And residents are fleeing all four states. The Census Bureau data on these other three, three states shows that they're, they're leaving, too. On net, tens of thousands left each of those states between 2015 and 2016. Remember, Chicago's the only major city to lose population. States have lost population. Uh, on net, tens of thousands left each of those. The last thing these states need is another 20% tax to drive away money and talent. In Wisconsin and Indiana, you know, and they're just hoping if they implement this in in Illinois again, you'd think that Rauner would stand in the way of it. But if they're to implement this twenty percent success tax, what are they, the privilege tax? Just, God, they're just such annoying people. They're hoping that other uh, surrounding states would follow suit well wisconsin and indiana are not going to so long as they remain in gop hands i doubt iowa would do such a thing so if the worry is that investment advisors would move to neighboring states they can't be that worried about it the lure of taxes the lure of the new tax money the lure of the two billion dollars and taxes that quote gouge the rich that lure is just too powerful for the illinois liberals they want to punish success at all costs they want, to, they want to punish success at all costs. And increasingly, liberals now running these blue states are willing to force their socialist agendas even when they know it means a loss of jobs and productivity and population, and even when they know it means higher taxes on those people who are productive. They don't seem to care. I think they figure if we can ram this agenda home in these states, maybe it will spread across the country, because that's how all sorts of Democratic and liberal gains have been won over the years, of course. But most of these new ideas are really extreme and they're really devastating. I'm running out of time here, but I wanted to talk about California's liberals who have who've run that state into bankruptcy status for all practical purposes. They're now insisting they're going to be the first state to go full-blown government on health care, so-called single-payer. A few smaller states have looked at it and or tried, and they've failed But California's socialist geniuses are ready to force this on to California residents where one-third of the country's welfare cases already reside and where only half of the residents of California even have jobs. So who's going to pay for this? They don't care. The current proposal would double the state budget from $200 billion to $400 billion as if they could keep getting – and that's if they can keep getting all the federal Medicaid money they've been getting. If not, it would triple the state budget. Eh, Whatever. California would have government on health care. It's just insane, the ideas they're pushing. These blue states are going to continue to hemorrhage businesses and people. But
5: I can't wait to go home.
3: Song seven forty six on WISN. I'm Jay Weber. Uh, so Hillary is turning out to be a sore loser. I gotta. I just have to ask. Uh, did any of the men act this way for the last two hundred and forty years? All of a sudden. Yeah. Wow. The, you know, all of the people who have run for president and lost in recent memory. I'm, Name one. I, I of here's the thing, of all the people that have run and lost, I would never would have guessed it would be Hillary, who would be the one who is out complaining publicly and acting like a loser brat about it. And this is getting worse. She's getting more openly bitter over time. I'm sincere in this. As much as I dislike Hillary, I'm sincere that I never thought she she would be this type. Think back to those who lost big. Mitt Romney and John McCain, they handled it with dignity. They quietly resumed their lives for the most part and never let on how much it hurt. And boy, it has to sting. It has to hurt big time. You've dedicated several years of your life to this. And your country has rejected you. Al Gore went to court to try to get the win. Yes, it was a photo finish. But after it was decided, he, you know, he quietly went away for a long stretch of time. He suffered a bout of mental illness. I mean, clearly, he grew a beard. He put on 50 pounds. It was devastating for him. But he didn't run around for the next year and complain about his loss. Pick any loser out of the past. I think you could probably go back to the, to the founders, but pick any loser out of the past. George H.W. Bush. He actually served and then lost a second term to to this womanizer from Arkansas. Was he bitter? Probably. Did he complain publicly? No. Walter Mondale, for God's sake. Walter Mondale lost every single state except his home state of Minnesota. Think about how devastating that had to be. He didn't run around and claim he was robbed. And I thought Hillary was at least as mentally tough as all of these men. I really did. She's built a reputation of being a stone-cold witch, tougher mentally than any man. I never—I wouldn't have expected this of her. I have to inject gender here. No one else will because they'll be worried about the political correctness. I'll ask, just how is it a positive for women and young girls who are supposed to look up to Hillary to see her be the first woman who ran for president on a major ticket and lose? Also be the first person to break 240 years of protocol and publicly whine about her loss for the next year. Blame it on others. How is that a positive? And you know what? I might be the first to bring it up. I doubt I will be the only one if she keeps running around and giving speeches laced with bitterness and proclaiming to reporters that she really won. I know we were off on a long weekend, and I hope that you checked out of the news. Give yourself a break from this from time to time. But if you didn't see it, Hillary gave a speech at at her alma mater, Wellesley College, that was laced with bitterness. And in a different interview, she told the reporter that she really won, you know. She beat both Donald and Bernie, just for the record, you know. But she didn't, because if she had, she'd be president right now. And we'll get to that. But this speech at Wellesley on Friday... Was just the latest in what's becoming a sore loser tour for this woman. Every time Hillary seems to give a speech now, the bitterness gets more overt and evident. She told these Wellesley seniors they were graduating, quote, at a time when there is a full fledged assault on truth and reason. She likened the Trump administration to authoritarian regimes throughout the country or throughout history. She likened President Trump to Richard Nixon, whom she said had been impeached. Nixon was not impeached, he resigned. The only modern-day president to be impeached was anyone? Bueller? Bueller? The only modern-day president to be impeached was her husband. Bill Clinton was impeached by the House, but the Senate refused to vote to remove him. Nixon resigned, so she got that wrong. She called Trump's new budget an attack of unimaginable cruelty on the most vulnerable among us and a trillion-dollar mathematical lie. She never explained what she meant there. She just tossed it out in a commencement speech. She mentioned Pizzagate, this conspiracy theory that alleged that her associates were running a pedophile ring, which was ridiculous. Uh, Alex Jones forwarded that crap. Uh, She dinged Trump for disputing the size of the crowds at his inauguration. Uh, She accused him of fomenting division. This is a commencement speech at a college. None of that is appropriate, nor should it have been in there and I hate it when politicians inject policy into their commencement speeches. The White House will often do this. they do this a lot with presidents, given that the speech is the one that the, this is the speech the president is going to be giving that day. It will get media attention. We have to put some policy in it. It just bothers me. Just honor the kids and the parents. honor the day, keep politics out of commencement speeches. Hillary, though, had a heavy dose of it, and all it all amounted to biz- bitterness and sore loserism. As one pundit put it, America had disappointed her, and so young Americans now have to bear the burden. Yeah, they're going to have to sit and listen to her whiny baggage. What a pain in the neck this woman is. We really dodged a bullet here. Uh, Nick in West Dallas here on WISN.
2: Morning, Jay. How are you?
3: Doing well, thanks. Good.
2: Um, I got a couple factors, I think, that, that kind of go in with this, too. I think she's, one, um, she's a little
3: bit bitter about
2: Brock taking her thunder the first time. Because I think if she, if they would have let her, she would have been able to beat Mitt Romney um, just as easily as, as Brock did. Maybe so. Um,
3: maybe so. He ran against, the he, he he ran against that, McCain the first time. She, she probably could have beaten right. McCain. And,
2: but then here's the other thing, though. Is like, if she's President Instead of rock she doesn't get in trouble as Secretary of State. All of this stuff doesn't come out about her.
3: Yeah, okay, so she's better. But see, those are the types of things that adults in these positions have kept to themselves. (laughs) It's the type of thing maybe you even write in your memoirs to be published upon your death or in your memoirs. You don't run around for six months to a year after the election loss and complain it was robbed. I really won. I was robbed. You know, Trump is this, Trump is that. This is terrible. The country has lost all truth and reason because I'm not president. It's just it's just petty and ugly. Mike in Milwaukee are on WISN.
2: Hey, how you doing? You know, this is just uh example an unfortunate example of what the entire Democrat Party has become—it's become nothing but gender and victim politics. Well,
0: in, in... If I
2: don't get what I feel I deserve, it's because I'm this or I'm that. It's not because I didn't do the best I could, or I wasn't the right candidate that the people wanted, or my views on what the what, what the most of the population wants for their country. It 's always because somebody's picking on me, and it's what the Democrat Party has
3: become well, I think you're right about that, and in fact, it plugs in with one of the theories uh, that I'm working on here. Hillary might think this endears her to the the socialist progressive base. she wants to be part of this rebellion, this resistance, whatever the hell they're calling themselves and and she they're not they, they don't want anything to do with her, they want the Clintons to go away, they want Hillary to go away. Hillary wants to be part of this resistance, and I think that that uh, she believes that this whining helps build the case that she's been wronged and, and should be the leader of this resistance. If you notice the whining and the bitterness, the public bitterness and whining has picked up rather than ebbed. It's picked up over the last several months. I think she's trying to adhere herself to the to, to the left wing base. And they still they want nothing to do with this woman or the Clintons ever again. But Hillary Clinton turned around after this speech, and she gave an interview with, to New York Magazine in which she said, I beat Trump and Sanders, you know. This is a direct quote. Quote, I beat both of them. She said, I beat both of them. She beat Bernie in the primary, yes, and barely. And she did so with the help of Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Donna Brazil, who helped rig the game at the DNC, but she probably would have beaten Bernie anyway. She didn't beat Trump. And I know she and a lot of Democrats want to keep referencing the popular vote and claiming she won. But here's what's asinine about this and, and, and why it's just excuse-making. And liberals in the audience, please hear me out because this is just right. You're just wrong that she won. And here's why. There are rules of the game. And she lost by the rules of those, that game. The contest they were engaged in has clear rules. The biggest rule is you have to go state-to-state and cobble together electoral college votes in order to make sure the entire country is represented by this next person who will be in office, and you have to win at least 270 of them, currently, to win the presidency. You can't just select a few states that are heavy with population and win the popular vote and claim your president. There are clear rules to this contest, and the rules have been clear as long as the country has existed. Always the same. We always play by the same rules every four years. There are clear rules of this contest, and by those rules, Hillary lost, and she lost big. Deal with it. Remember, the electoral vote count wasn't even that close in the end. It was 304 to 227. It's not like this was a 269 to 271 tie and Trump stole a state. Trump beat her state to state. Hillary won, what, I think about 20 states. Trump won 30. This wasn't even close in the end. By the rules of the contest, this wasn't even close in the end. Hillary did not win, and by any honest measure, she lost by a wide margin. I won't call it a landslide like Trump wanted to do afterwards. She didn't get smoked like, you know, Walter Mondale got smoked. She lost by a wide margin. This was a comfortable win for Donald Trump. It wasn't even close. Yet she wants to cling to the fact that she won the popular vote, as do some of you liberals in the audience. Okay, let's just create a different scenario. What are the rules of football? We all know the rules of football, how you score. You need to get the ball into the end zone. That gets you points. So what if after a game between the Packers and the Bears, the Packers win 28-3, to They score four TDs on four drives. They win 28-3. The rest of the game is just a defensive struggle. They can't move the ball. Imagine if afterward the Bears coach said, you know, we got the ball past the 50-yard line and into Packers territory 10 different times. They only got into Bears territory four times. We won. We won that ball game. Would that coach be scoffed at and called a sore loser who is making things up? Yes, because he would be a sore loser who's making things up. The clear rules of football state, you have to get the ball into the end zone. You don't get six points for getting it across midfield. You get no points for breaching the 50-yard line. Same thing here with Hillary. You get no special win or special accommodation for winning the popular vote. You don't. She won nothing. By the rules of the contest, she won nothing. It is so childish to run around and claim she won and, by God, insist she was. I beat them both. No, you didn't. She sounds like a child who is thought to be the fastest kid on the playground. Remember this little hot shot? Fastest kid on the playground until he loses a foot race. Then all the excuses come. Ah, I wasn't ready. Uh, my shoe came untied. I was sort of sick over the weekend. Hey, whatever, dude. You lost. The bitterness by Clinton is just sad. And as as much as I dislike this woman, I never would have thought she'd run around whining for six months to a year after the loss. Someone close to her should say, Hillary, quiet dignity is the better play here. This is the first female candidate to head a major ticket. All right, you lost. But if you really want to be a role model for these young girls and and these women, be a role model. Stop the crybaby act. Stop claiming you won something you didn't win.
1: Proud to have the integrity to hold all sides accountable. He's Jay Weber on News Talk 11:30 WISN.
3: It is 8:12 on WISN, almost 8:13. Still ahead, even liberal websites are starting to ask, why can't Democrats win an election and prove the country hates Trump? First, this though, I love. I'm loving Trump's generals. His Homeland Security Secretary is former General John Kelly. He said over the weekend, the administration is considering banning all laptops on international flights, incoming and outgoing. This isn't why I like the guy, but this is what what had me thinking about him. He said something else that had the illegal alien activists all in a twist. We'll get to that, but uh, just this is informational uh, for those people that fly. They're talking about tightening up this ban on laptops on international flights, incoming and outgoing, at least in the cabins. You could check them and put them in your big bag, presumably. But you know, knowing the baggage handlers at a lot of these airports, you might not have it at the end of the flight. Uh, this comes as as we get these persistent threats from terrorist groups that seem hell bent on bringing down another airliner. Uh, ever since nine eleven, Al Qaeda and other groups, now ISIS, they've been trying to figure out how to get explosives on a plane disguised as something else. We had a shoe bomber attempt that failed. We had an underwear bomber attempt that failed al-qaeda was rumored to be trying to get explosives into toothpaste tubes or accelerants into water bottles you know hence the ban on any toiletry products that are over a few ounces this latest threat is related to laptops either you know hidden explosives in the computers itself or some trigger device for a bomb below or some such thing suddenly laptops are of a big concern among security officials and several international flights have recently – they've been banned on several international flights coming and going from countries that have are, have terrorist uh, activity in them. And this may broaden. Uh, General Kelly said over the weekend in an interview with Fox that the U.S. plans to raise the bar on airline security, including tightening screening of these carry-on items. He says that's the thing they're obsessed with, the terrorists, the idea of knocking down an airplane in flight, particularly if it's a U.S. carrier, particularly if it's full of Americans. Uh, In March, the government imposed restrictions on large electronic devices in, in the cabins of flights from 10 airports, including United Air Air Emirates, Qatar, and Turkey. And they say, we're following the intelligence. Uh, They're in the process of defining this, but we're going to raise the bar, generally speaking, for aviation higher than it is now. And among the enhanced security measures will likely be a tighter screening of these carry-on items that allow the TSA agents to discern problematic things. One of the things they're running into is they're saying because um, airlines are – are charging fees for checked bags now more than ever. People are jamming their carry-on full of stuff to the point that there's so much clutter in them that the screeners can't see through the clutter. Kelly says in order to pay a, 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 avoid paying these fees, people are just stuffing their, their carry-ons to the point that the TSA agents can't really see what's in there. He says the more stuff that's in there, the less the TSA professionals are looking at what's in those bags through the monitors can tell what's in them. I'm not sure how smart it is to make that known, but this is one of the reasons they're talking about more restrictions to carry-ons. Expect some new rules in that regard coming down the, the pipe, though. Uh, meanwhile, Trump's defense secretary, Jim Mattis, another former general, said something that was encouraging to me and, and also a little disheartening to me. Uh, Mattis announced that the Trump administration has shifted our strategy on ISIS to be a kill strategy. This is what's disheartening. Didn't we already, didn't you already assume, I know I did, didn't you already assume we had a kill strategy on ISIS? If not, what have we been doing over there for five years? This is after the JV team mistake. You're telling me that that Obama was more, in more of a, a push him out mode than a kill him mode? This is after his JV team mistake. This is with tens of thousands of murders ISIS has committed, attempts at genocides, genocide among the Ush- wiping out the Yazidi. Obama didn't. Have us on an annihilation strategy? No, apparently he didn't. This was news to me, and I'm guessing it'll be news to the entire country. Instead, Obama had us on a disruption strategy. Let's push him out of where they are. Well, General Mattis says, why would we bust up the caliphate and then let these monsters scatter into the wind? Why would we let them go back to their home countries?
0: Our strategy right now is to accelerate the campaign against ISIS. It is a threat to all civilized nations. And the bottom line is we are going to move in an accelerated and reinforced manner, throw them on their back foot. We have already shifted from attrition tactics where we shove them from one position to another in Iraq. Step into the world
4: of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family
0: Our intention is that the foreign fighters do not survive the fight to return home uh, to North Africa, to Europe, to America, to to Asia, to Africa. Uh, We're not going to allow them to do so. We're going to uh, stop them there and take apart the caliphate.
3: That was General Mattis on Face the Nation. He also had a great line. John Dickerson asked him, what keeps you up at night? And without missing a beat, Mattis said, and this is a quote, nothing i keep others up at night (laughs) isn't that a great quote (laughs) but who knew we were we had an an attrition tactic that we were following rather than an, an annihilation tactic why push them around why break up the caliphate and allow them to go home to their home countries just now now that trump has taken over Our generals are being allowed to go to an annihilation strategy. That strategy is to to surround these pockets of ISIS, like the ones that still hold a few neighborhoods in Mosul, and squeeze them out and kill them. I thought this is what we were over there to do in the first place, kill them, not let them scatter into the wind. Apparently Obama was fine with that. Just another way he was the worst president ever. He's letting ISIS monsters live and regroup elsewhere routinely rather than put a priority on killing them all. I'm just, worst president ever. The money quote from Mattis, though, is our intention is that the foreign fighters do not survive the fight to return home to North Africa, to Europe, to America, to Asia, to Africa. We're not going to allow them to do so. We're going to stop them there. That should have been our intention all along. The final battle to retake Mosul, which would be the, the final stronghold, uh, the, only, the final place that ISIS really held in Iraq— Then it would all be about Raqqa and Syria. But the final battle to retake Mosul forming uh, has ISIS pushed back into a few neighborhoods that have you know have been heavily rigged with explosives. Just for simplicity's sake, to describe this, they at once they controlled the entire city of Mosul. They just say they entire they controlled all of Milwaukee. Well, now they've been pushed back into a few neighborhoods. Say they you know around here they might have been pushed back to the east side. They control the east side, and you know and that's about it. So what ISIS has been doing as they've been digging in. Is they have been rigging houses and cars with explosives and they've they've you know apparently run the wires and run the triggers you know house to house car to car they're hoping for some major human catastrophe if and when allied forces move in they're rigging buildings and cars for some massive um response and that is complicating efforts as as allied troops and isis uh, iraq troops try to get go in there and end this thing. A few reports have ISIS snipers targeting children, killing any children they see running or playing games on the streets. Uh, we had a port- report last week that the the Pentagon was explaining why there was a, a civilian casualty, a high civilian casualty, related to a bombing of a building. Uh, and it turns out that ISIS had had this entire building rigged to blow. They had civilians in it because they wanted big casualties, and they put two Iraqi snipers, uh, two Iraqi, two ISIS snipers on the roof of the building to draw the American bomb. And the Americans bombed the the, the building. They didn't have intelligence that's, that had, you know, they, they hadn't seen them move in a bunch of explosives and people. Uh, so they bombed the building and all sorts of people died. And the Pentagon uh, was re- explaining afterward, the bomb we used to get the two guys on the roof, would not have collapsed the building. This is a small bomb that we use dedicated intentionally for this purpose, where you can kill people on the roof and not collapse the building. So it just it triggered the, the larger explosive. This is the type of thing ISIS is doing to rack up body counts and death tolls. And some people still think we can hug it out with these people and bring peace. Katy Perry wants to hug it out here. But I'm just I'm loving these generals that Trump appointed to his cabinet. I'm I'm loving them even more as we get get deeper into this administration as time passes, because Mattis and Kelly have been Mattis and Kelly have been great. Mattis is taking the fight to ISIS for the first time, probably ever, you know, in a long time, and he's and he's doing it, you know, uh, with with the war plans that the Iraqi soldiers are then largely carrying out. But Kelly, as Homeland Security Secretary. He got right to work cracking down on illegals. He's starting planning for the wall. Portions of the wall are being built with existing money. He has dates certain for contractors to um, have sample walls be built in order to gauge their effectiveness. General Kelly is kicking butt at Homeland Security. And this is going on while the D.C.'s swamp is tying Trump's hands in other ways. Here's another reason to like Kelly if you want a sovereign nation with controlled borders. He sent illegal rights groups into, into hysterics on Friday when he said this influx of teenagers and kids from South America was a scam perpetrated on the American people. He says these weren't innocent children crossing. Uh, for the most part, they were gang members and and children who who were being trafficked, sometimes by their own parents. He said they were abusing lax policies to gain a foothold here. He said the families in Central America orchestrated dangerous journeys for their children, and they were guilty of human trafficking of their own children. These activists uh, say that you know most of the children were fleeing these terrible conditions in Central America. Kelly indicated they were being used. Some abuses have been reported, including you know, parents who sent their children to become child labor for criminals. They turned their kids over to coyotes and didn't exactly know how or, or or whether their kids would even arrive without being abused or, or misused. But the older male children in particular, who made up the largest segment of this population crossing, the older major male children either were already in gangs, Latin American gangs, or they were prime recruits for Latin American gangs. Uh, Kelly said, this is a huge scam. Most of them know exactly what they're doing. They come across, they identify themselves. And what he's saying is the scam is is they're scamming the process. These aren't people, you know, desperate to, to to flee anything so much as they just want to get into America, and and live here. He said this is a huge scam. Most of them know exactly what they're doing. They come across, they identify themselves. The people that traffic them up here, uh, their families are actually involved in human trafficking at this point. He said uh, they'll send them up. We turn them over to HHS. They usually have in their pocket the name, phone number, address of their mom or uncle or someone who's already here. And then we, HHS, will do some initial vetting of the family, but it is the relative or something that will they'll be turned over to that person at our expense. Yes, we have carted these children all across the country at our expense to reunite them with, with family members or guardians here. This is what was going on. General Kelly described it perfectly, and I'm sure a lot of those children were sent here for a better life by desperate parents. I'm sure they were, yes. You bet they were. But they only did so because Obama and his team had the porch light on and were running a de facto refugee and relocation program. This is what the Trump administration was doing. They were running a refugee and relocation program and not telling the American people about it. The families of the illegal kids down south knew exactly how this scam was going to work. They had the assurances that the U.S. government would at some point take custody of that child and everything would be okay. Our government would locate the, you'd give them you know, new clothes and, and uh, you know feed them and take care of them, take care of their, their medical needs, and our government would locate their relative or pretend relative and then pay the expenses to get them to that location. They knew how this worked. Meanwhile, many other young men, Remember, this was mostly teenage boys crossing. Many of them already belonged to Latin American gangs, or they were sent up here, and they were sent up here to grow the number of that gang, like MS 13. Others were coming into the country with no particular adult ties, but were ripe for gang recruitment once they got located in a major city. It didn't know the language. You know, where else would they hang out with the Latin gangs? Where would they find a place in our society? This is what happened. It's still happening to a much smaller degree, and it's just the truth. And if illegal alien advocates won't admit it, tough. They're the ones who spent their time trying to pull on the heartstrings of the American people and manipulate the American people into believing that all of these children crossing were little innocents. They're all like that little six-year-old angel wrapped in his little red cross blanket, sleeping on the floor of one of the detention centers. That photo is still being used in the propaganda And the news coverage related to illegal immigration, well, they're the same thing. News coverage is the propaganda. General Kelly is telling it like it is, finally telling some truths. And now that Obama's out of office, we're getting very different stories about what was really going on in Homeland Security, immigration services, Border Patrol. The stories and the suppositions we conservatives were making all along are turning out to be true. Things like the Obama administration was intentionally making up and faking deportation numbers. They were intentionally letting known gang members into this country and into the interior. They were letting every criminal go that was accused of a crime and or paroled out of prison after doing a crime. They let them back into this country. Unless it was murder or a very violent crime, nothing counted as a crime that could get you uh, deported. And yet Obama's team was claiming they were deporting the criminal illegals. We now know it was all lies. Kelly's administration is just starting to make known just how non-existent our border and ICE enforcement was under Barack Obama. And we conservatives are being proven right again. The liberals lied to the American people for eight years on this. Don't miss out on anything at News Talk
1: 1130 WISN. Stay connected and listen anywhere with our free iHeartRadio app. That's why we created iHeartRadio, so you can put us in your pocket and take us everywhere you go. I
0: have a little dirt on my boots, but I'm taking you to
3: It is eight thirty five on WISN. Here's an interesting twist. It's from the Washington Times. They say more Democrats are seeing voter fraud as a problem and ID laws as a solution. What? <laughs> Most Americans, including Democrats, think voter fraud is a real problem and they don't mind voter ID laws as a solution. This is according to new academic research. <gasps> what a shock. It suggests that Republicans are winning this argument over voter rights and suppression. Um, They've always been winning the argument. This is a study that was published in Social Science Quarterly this month. It's been been done, based on research done, by Patrick Miller, a political science professor from the University of Kansas. He co-authored the study. Uh, He says he detected a cynicism about American politics that feeds into fears among voters of all persuasions that elections are being tainted by fraud. He surveyed roughly 1,000 voters. And found even groups of Democrats say they're most harmed by showing ID at the uh, who's, even groups of Democrats who are most harmed by showing ID at the polls uh, say that uh, they support voter ID laws. Even the uh, minorities and elderly, he says. Now, here's the thing his assumption this is typical liberal pap his assumption is voter ID laws harm Democrats and harm certain groups of people. He assumes it. But his, his findings aren't surprising at all. Past polls have shown people support voter ID, including minorities, the elderly, those that are allegedly going to be disenfranchised with it. We've been talking about this forever in Wisconsin, so I've been tracking this forever. Voter ID laws initially were initially proposed by Jimmy Carter and good government Democrats, believe it or not. Initially, they had a public support of eighty twenty. 20 This started out as an 80-20 issue. Because it's not at all controversial, or shouldn't be. Should people have to prove who they are before they vote? Yeah, yeah, sounds like a good idea. This came out of a, a, the Jimmy Carter and the Good Government Libs. Who you know, remember after he got of office, got out of office, Jimmy Carter would run around the rest of the world and monitor elections to make sure they were fair, and would talk about how we can make elections fairer here and elsewhere. This was this was out of that brain trust. Why don't we have everyone show an ID? Yeah, good idea. This started out as an 80-20 issue. 80% of of the public liked the idea. Even after the years-long jihad against voter ID laws now by the Democrats, this has gone on in about 10 years at least, even now it's still a 70-30 issue. The Obama activist crowd and the relentless negativity by the mainstream media has managed to move the the needle a little bit. It's managed to move a few people into believing these laws are bad, this is still an overwhelming 70-30 issue. and yes, that includes and it has always included the ma- majorities of people in the minority groups, the elderly, the young people, this cuts across all demos and all cross sections. people support voter id. but apparently this poli-sci professor is shocked and and his he he gets this conclusion from the liberal from from his from his research. Republican voters view voter ID as a moral issue, a question of right or wrong. Democrats, meanwhile, were victims of their own ignorance, he says. They don't realize that favoring voter ID will hurt their party's goals. Isn't that fantastic? (laughs) This professor, who is clearly a liberal, who clearly buys into... This idea that voter ID disenfranchises minorities, young people, or or, uh, the elderly, etc. This professor absolutely buys into voter IDs being a bad thing for Democrats. So his only conclusion can be, Democrat voters are dumb. (laughs) Fantastic. Republicans had fears of a fair election, he says. That's what motivated them to support voter ID. But Democrats are just dumb. He concludes those Democrats who support voter ID have to be dumb because voter ID laws hurt their party and they, they would still support them. This is his conclusion. He assumes voter ID laws are bad. So his conclusion, interestingly has to be, well, Democrat voters are just dumb. They're voting against their own best interests. Fantastic. They then quote another so-called expert who says he needs more polling and data samples before he would believe these results Ladies and gentlemen, polling has been done on voter ID for a decade now. We've talked about it all that time. Every poll has said the same thing. This started out as an 80-20 issue. It's now a 70-30 issue based on the liberals' attempts to scare people. They've moved the numbers a little bit, but 7 in 10 people still, Democrat, Republican, white, black, Asian, 7 in 10 Americans, know voter ID laws just make sense. This isn't news, but it has a poli-sci professor concluding that Democratic voters are just idiots because they support it in majorities, too. Meanwhile, all the talk of the big showdown over, over Trump in Montana stopped immediately. The day after the Republican in Montana, who was a flawed candidate to begin with, and then body-slammed a reporter the day before the election, <laughs> he still won, <laughs> so... The liberal media hype on that election by proxy, you know, it's a hey, it's a proxy for Trump. That hype evaporated immediately. Now it's on to Georgia. So this so far is three strikes in special congressional elections that the liberals built up into a big showdown over Trump and lost. You can toss the Omaha mayor's race in as well. They built that into a Trump referendum and lost. So this is now four crushing losses in a row since February, and probably over $100 million or more spent on these four races by the Democratic side of the aisle alone. And the Dems still don't have diddly to show for it. Every big rebuke of Trump has been a GOP win. Even the lefty Politico website is admitting Trump was an asset in this race in Montana. It might have shocked them, but but Trump won Montana by 21 points in November. Uh, Greg Gianfort, who was running for the, the governor at the time, he lost by four. This time around, though, it's a congressional race. It's not statewide. It's in a congressional district. He, and this time he wrapped himself as close to Trump as possible. And he won. Pence came to town and and and, and um, campaigned on his behalf. Donald Trump Jr. did. There were last-second robocalls from the president and from Mike Pence. They used Trump's campaign slogans, and it all worked to Gianfort's advantage. He won. Trump was an asset in this race in Montana. He wasn't a hindrance as the Democrats insisted he was going to be. There's a referendum on Trump, and people hate him. Now all sh- all eyes shift to Georgia. Now, this was the jungle primary that the Democrats insisted their candidate could win outright, remember? This is actually their first big showdown loss. The Democrats' name is John Ossoff. It was a jungle primary in which the top two vote-getters were going to move to the general election, regardless of what party they were in. I think you remember this. They could be in the same party, and if so, so be it. But since there were 17 Republicans in that primary, 17, the Democrats thought that John Ossoff could could get more than 50% of the vote and win it outright, not require a general election. Well, he didn't. So now, next month, June, he faces off against a Republican named Karen Handel, who should be able to retain the seat for Republicans. This is the old seat of Tom Price. It's around the Atlanta area. Atlanta's sort of changing uh, from, from red to blue. But this is the doctor who became Trump's HHS secretary. This This is still... a a, a pink or slightly redder district. It's already the most expensive house race in history, by the way, and this is before both sides of the, the aisle pour tens of millions of dollars more into it in the final two weeks or so. The big Democrat donors, the people who give these candidates in packs and big chunks of cash, they're starting to get discouraged. So you already have some Democratic operatives saying, look, if we don't win in Georgia, our big money donations could slow to a trickle here. Done everything for you. You've done nothing for me it is 850 on WISN. yes, yeah, so the, the Democrats are thinking that the big donors that give the candidates chunks of money, PACs, you know, the PACs, political action committees, just big chunks of cash, are starting to get discouraged because they can't win anything. So you have Democratic operatives saying, we've got to win Georgia here, or the donations are going to slow to a trickle. And that would really hurt the party, given that their donations in general to the DNC, to the congressional funds, they're down to pathetic lows following their losses in November. We've talked about that. This is a Democratic Party that's trying to fight back but just keeps losing. And it's because they're offering only rage and an increasingly socialist platform. These ideas are just not impressing the American people. The Seattle Times there's, has a columnist that queries, and this is a, a an uber liberal rag. Uh, they have a, a columnist that is querying, you know, why do we just keep losing? This guy says he ran into a Democratic operative who is adamant that this dispirited party's stock is rising. He said, "If the Democrats can't win this year, we should be abolished as a political party." And this columnist says, "Well, it's not as far fetched as it might sound. This is going nowhere." They lost a special election in Montana that a disliked interloper millionaire from New Jersey who body-slammed a reporter on the eve of the election won. Yeah, Montana's a red state, but it is a Democratic governor, a Democratic U.S. senator. Why are Democrats in this terrible time of Trump still losing, he asks. He talks about the recent polls we've talked about. Nine points. The the Democrats' favorability rating is currently nine points lower than Trump's. Only 67% of the people think Democrats... I'm sorry, 67% of the people think Democrats are out of touch with regular people. Two-thirds of the country say, yeah, the Democrats don't represent me. They're out of touch. That's 10 points worse than Trump. And yet he says Democrats are doing no soul-searching about this. They're marooned at sea, and their plan seems to be to just ride the anti-Trump tide all the way back to shore. But in Montana, it didn't work. The Republican candidate campaigned like he was a Trump mini-me, The Democrat, for his part, brainstormed with Bernie Sanders. The Republican won. He says, look, in Seattle, everyone loves Bernie, but who thought it was a good idea to parade around in Montana's general election with a socialist? A good question. But more and more, garden-variety liberals are starting to ask the same question. Why can't Democrats win? And here's the truth, people. The truth is, Democrats have only had bad bets in these special elections, but they've run headlong into them and built them up as major showdowns anyway it's fun to mock them but here's the god's honest truth and i've said this before these aren't elections the democrats should have won or could have won these have been bad bets that their party leaders and activists in their hysteria turned into high stakes elections on trump if you remember months ago when osloff lost this jungle primary in georgia he could didn't win it outright i gave democrats some advice just stop panicking Trump is new to the White House. Americans are always willing to give the new president some time. He did, after all, win the election. Whether you like it or not, he won 30 of the 50 states. Don't leap into panic mode and claim the election was stolen and the American people hate Trump. They already want to correct the mistake. We've got to prove it. we got to prove it. we got to prove it. we got to prove it. Relax. Don't panic. So you lost a big election that you thought you'd win because Hillary was a terrible candidate, and it was a change election after eight putrid years of Obama. This was a change election after eight terrible years of Obama, and they put up a candidate that that was unlikable. Okay, regroup. Stop taking flyers on really bad bets. They were never likely to win any of these congressional seats. They were all red territory. That was my advice. But the panic continues, and it's now on to Georgia, where they might have their best chance at an upset, but let's not kid ourselves. They'll very likely get their collected heinies handed to them again.